Kaspar whistled a sweet melody as he strolled down the tiny, dusty road that would eventually take him to the great port city of Borfi. The sound floated over the broad, grassy plain, announcing his coming to the butterflies and bumblebees that flitted among the fiery blossoms of wild dragondale flowers and the more delicate white blooms called Griffin's Breath. Everywhere he looked, the world was full of beauty. He drew a deep breath and grinned happily. The air was rich with the blossom's perfume. Adjusting the small pack that contained his few belongings, he bent and plucked a dragondale, inhaled its fragrance, and stuck it behind his ear without ever missing a note of his song. Overhead, billowy clouds drifted languidly through a blue sky while the sun gently warmed the land. A pair of firebirds circled playfully, their plumage shimmering red and yellow as they rode the air currents in their graceful mating flight. Casper watched as they gyred lower and lower, wingtips almost touching. Then, brushing the top of the high grass, the birds climbed again and flew eastward. Borfi lay to the east, too, and Caspar took it as a favorable sign that such beautiful birds were going his way. He knew in his heart he'd made the right decision to leave his small village in the Peltoid Valley and strike out to seek his fortune. Not that he'd had any choice. A pang of regret still filled him when he remembered the angry and accusing faces of former friends and family. This is Dark and Stormy Nights, the podcast where we read the first page, and only the first page, of every novel ever written. I'm your host, Vin LeBate. And I'm your other host, Ben Blattberg. And tonight we're talking about the first page of The Lost City of Zork by Robin W. Bailey, published in 1991. And our guest tonight is Rachel Jones. Hi, Rachel. Hi, everyone. So... Uh, I'm going to guess we're all familiar with Zork, but maybe we should assume that some people in the audience are younger than us and just mention that Zork as a franchise started out as a series of text adventure games published in the in like the early 80s, maybe the late 70s. I'm not going to look that up right now, but they're sort of like foundational uh, games that you'd play on like a Commodore 64 if you were me. Uh, yeah. right. If I remember correctly, it involved blocks falling from the sky and you had to fit them into shapes. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and there was some lines. Russian music in the background. Yeah. <laughs> Classic text adventure fair. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess I, 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 this is where I confess that I, uh, having seen the cover of the, the game box many times in my childhood, uh, I don't think I've ever played Zork. Never stood west of a white house? You know, I was more of a... a uh, do, do, do you guys remember the like point and click slash text adventure uh, Deja Vu? Mm-mm. Oh, yeah. There, I just remember there's this one point where uh, there's a, a trunk locked. And if you use your gun to shoot off the lock, uh, you'll find a dead body inside. Hmm. And that's what I did for like a dozen playthroughs. And then eventually <laughs> at some point I found a key and I was like, oh, no, I <laughs> killed this this poor person 12 times. Yeah, that's what I remember. I just remember the Zork games being like um, unfairly difficult, mm-hmm. but still kind of fun to go poke around with of just collecting random items and breaking the puzzles. And like, I'm not sure I ever solved them without assistance until like way later in life when like the internet existed. But um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's very, very obtuse in a lot of places, uh, but also like a very interesting setting and world building experience. 
Um, but we're not talking about that today. We're talking about this novel. <laughs> I mean, we might talk about that. Who knows? Um, which is set in the universe. Uh, I've read it and remember absolutely nothing about it. So any further connections, I will not be able to draw. Uh, have you read this book, uh, Rachel? I have not. No. Um, but I was very excited to see that it stars um, Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia on the cover. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. I do have a note about like how sort of uninspired the, the cover is. Uh, like it is just like a man who is jumping to defend a woman who seems like she's about to faint uh, from a dragon or a serpent. Uh, it's uh, a pretty good thought, sea like, serpent though. I was going to say like, I should be more like more positive and, and you know, try more gratitude in my life. And so I, I looked at it again and I was like, well, it's it's well drawn. It, it it's well it's well done. Uh, if uninspired. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, now I feel like maybe that's even worse. I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings today. <laughs> I feel like there's some good color work going on. Like the sea serpent is a, is a very sort of intense red that you don't see elsewhere, and it's got big yellow eyes. And then like he's wearing a very blue robe, and she's wearing a very white robe. It's interestingly color blocked. Mm. Is my position and. I love the hair. I just think that um, since I'm assuming no one can see this cover the way we're appreciating right now, but like um, the guy looks like Luke Skywalker. He looks like Star Wars Episode Four, New Hope, but like with um, the suspenders are a nice touch. Mm. It's amazing how it can look dated in a very different, um, very distinctly. I mean, was this written in the 80s, this book? I'm assuming it's an 80s uh, book. Published 70s. in 91. So oh, wow. Mm-hmm. It was dated when it came out. It's incredible. Yeah, it's funny. You know, w- w- we may remember the time before you could just like look up the cheat codes and walkthroughs. Uh, you know, so like if you got a hard game, it would just be hard forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, or like you know, there's all the things where like I would get to a level on some Mario game and then give the controller to a friend because I was like, I can't do, I can't do water levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry. Uh, whereas today you can work around things like that probably or set the difficulty level i i wonder if when this came out in 91 like how much star wars stuff was easily available like if if you didn't have i mean 91 uh if you didn't have the vhs if that you know in 91 is it's sort of that dead zone between like the the original release and the the resurgence yeah where like people were starved for star wars if you were into it if you weren't, you yeah. didn't give a shit at all, and it wasn't anywhere. Mm. You never had to think about it. Yeah. Yeah, so maybe someone was just like, you finished running the the West End game, Star Wars role-playing game, <laughs> and you're like, oh, I want something else with, like, just, like, a blonde farm <laughs> farm boy who's destined for greatness. Uh, and honestly, Rachel, now that you, you mentioned the, like, the Princess Leia thing, like... Right? Yeah, that's the that, same dress. Yes, that. I know. And she doesn't have the hair buns, but I could kind of like mentally project them onto her if i concentrate hard enough yeah because she does have like fancy hair still it's kind of quailed up there somehow and like um i can't help but wonder if given that zork is also like an 80s nostalgia um franchise now if the idea is to kind of bait in everyone who might be sort of 80s nostalgic Mm -hmm. there in the early 90s with a couple of different ploys but i kind of wonder if a star wars fan how they would feel about picking this up (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it worked on me. Oh, at the time. <laughs> oh yeah. 
Yeah, I guess we should say uh, this is actually uh, a book in Vin's possession. That's true. Uh, but I do wonder, uh, sorry, Rachel, I thought uh, what you were actually go- about to say was that like you were going to pitch a like uh, Infocom text adventure cinematic universe. Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> Just like, like we need we need more content for Netflix. Like quick, like make a Zork movie. I mean, I would watch that also. I would watch that. Yeah. Yeah. In a heartbeat. And mm. it's the, the, the Zork games were um, really, really, really funny while also being ridiculously hard and often very dark. Yeah. Yeah. My, they, um, actually further in the 90s, they released a couple of um, games that weren't text adventures in the Zork series. I don't know if you guys ever played them. The FMV games? Yes. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. A couple of them. I remember my, my favorite one was uh, Zork Grand Inquisitor, which was hilarious. I think I just missed Grand Inquisitor for some reason. I played a lot of the one before it. The dark one? Zork Nemesis? don't remember. That one? Yes, I think so. That one had some very rad and very dark puzzles in it, Mm. I remember. And like the one where you have to get the keys from the drunk by knowing the right toast. (laughs) Exactly. You know, little things like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I remember uh, Zork Grand Inquisitor was much, much more like the whole game was hilarious. Like at one point in the game you um you're carrying around the spell book that's useless and it's got spells in it like you know make purple things invisible and then halfway through the game there's something you do the spell book where it reverses all the spells so then it's like make invisible things purple and suddenly you know it's very clever and then you get to flip these spells in their heads and some of them do very hilarious strange things but i think that if you like FMVs, which I know they were a special era in the video game mm-hmm. history that one was delightful and i kind of wish that they would put it out for a nostalgic replay. <laughs> yeah. I have to check GOG for that. How many, how many Zork games? I mean, like, not just games, but, uh, like, how, how much IP, I guess, was there? If there were books? So, like, there were the three Cortex Adventures. One, two, three. And technically, uh, as you might note from the cover, that this book is by the author of Enchanter. The Enchanter series was kind of the same universe, I think. Although I don't know if they ever got explicit as to how they connect, but like they have the same spells and things. And then it was like a 10 year gap before the two novels that I know about and the couple of text adventures. And that's everything that I or uh, FMVs, not text adventures. And that's everything I know of off the top of my head. To add to that, um, I believe Zork was all part of the Infocom company which put out hmm. several different lines of text adventures. Um, one of the more famous ones was the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy text adventure, which I know that you can now play online because um, it was so good. They ported it over and made it a little more people-friendly for players nowadays, so you can now click on the interface. Yeah, my understanding is that is more hostile than the Zork games by a large degree. Oh, ridiculously hard, but hilarious. Like, uh, definitely worth checking out if you're a fan. Um yeah, but there was the Enchanter series. There were a couple others in the um, Infocom set that were really interesting. Um, yeah, um, they did some like time. sort of uh, like cerebral sci-fi, like a Mind Forever Voyaging. Oh, yes. Uh, they did a horror game. They did uh, a game called The Leather Goddesses of Phobos, which is <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, erotica. <laughs> I remember that one. It was an early introduction to being bisexual. thank you infocom um (laughs) there was um trinity that was all about like the nuclear test programs which was a super interesting too Mm -hmm. 
there, oh, there's another major one we're missing and I can't remember. Oh yeah. Do you remember the Planetfall trilogy? Oh yeah. Planetfall is really good. Yeah. So good. So good. It's got Floyd the robot who's just, mm. uh, feelings, one of the best sidekicks ever from any video game. I'm going to yeah. go ahead and stake my flag right there. Yeah. Also a very hostile game where like, <laughs> as soon as you crash land on the planet, you contract a disease. And if you can't figure out how to deal with it, you just slowly die over the course of like 45 minutes. <laughs> Good times yeah exactly but if you got past that well then there were you could slowly starve to death i remember like there being mm. like you had to get access to the machine that made the ooze yep remember that one and then there was the mutant monsters at the anyway this is all very spoilery but mm. anyone's planning on playing these very ancient games but you know but i think the cover of this book though really does yeah it, it's it's zorky definitely <laughs> mm. kind of puts me in mind of like the, the innate cheesiness of the universe yeah it's funny because it's Zorky in flavor, but also Zork is a game with no characters. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's specifically about you being alone in an underground empire. You have your lantern. <laughs> you know. I guess we can call that a companion. It's kind of a friend. Hmm. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, uh, just a quick scan. Did you know that they made a, uh, a a text adventure from James Clavell's Shogun? No. No. Invocom did? Yes. Whoa. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, in 1989. Wow. Uh, based on the 1975 novel. Hmm. It was their 33rd game, which, like, I mean, you have to at least respect that productivity. Mm-hmm. I mean, also, if you imagine, like, what they were programming this on or, like, what languages they were programming it in. Yeah. Um, have you, uh, have, have you all done any recent uh, interactive fiction gaming yes <laughs> actually and this predates when um you offered to have me be a guest on the podcast i was really recently every well, usually every summer i kind of get nostalgic for interactive fiction and there's a really great website it's just a giant interaction fiction data interactive fiction database where um people who are still writing in the genre will post new games mm-hmm. they have a yearly contest um and the genre has come a long way since the Zork times. Um, and they're now more like um, a lot of them play with the conventions of the genre itself. So like the one I just played was called Counterfeit Monkey. And the whole premise of the game is that you're on this linguistically magical island of Atlantis and you are a spy and you have to escape the island. And your only tool is you have a letter gun that can remove one letter from any word. So you counterfeit monkey, counterfeit money, um, you take out the K. And so then you kind of go around the island shooting things with your gun and, you know, wreaking havoc. And then it gets even more complicated and silly. And, you know, and that one um, is excellent, free game. You can play it in your browser. It's still all text adventure but like it's less brutal than the Zork games. Um, but there's a, there's a few that are really, really good entry level games. There's one called, I think it's Photopia is how you pronounce it, which is almost puzzleless. And it's more almost like an interactive short story. And um, I hate to spoil it, but if you, if anyone out there has never played one of these games and just wants a gentle introduction to how enchanting and beautiful they can be, that would be where I would start. It's just a great game. And you can get through it in probably an hour or two. Oh, I'm going to have to look that up. Uh, I, I was going to say for a, a gentle introduction, uh, we should point the listeners to the Twitch stream where we do uh, live plays of interactive fiction. <laughs> like. I mean, this is all very interesting. Like, we do not I, actually I, do that. Oh, okay. No, I was about to say, no, it's like, we wow. could. 
that would be fun. That would be, yeah, there's a couple that are really quick to get through. There's one that takes 10 minutes to play that has one of the most wickedly clever twists on interactive fiction ever. Hmm. If you want, I'll send it your way. I'm trying to remember the title of it. I know the author, but it'll come to me. Yeah. The author's Adam Cadre is his name. I'll look it up and I'll um, let you know later on. Well, maybe if I remember, I'll put it in the show notes. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But it is, uh, I mean, uh, uh, dear listeners, I don't think we are avoiding talking about this page of (laughs) text. There's just so much interesting stuff around it. Uh, It's a rich space. Yes. I mean, it is interesting, you know, we always talk about, well, not always, we very often talk about the covers even before we talk about the text. Mm. And like, I keep trying to remember, like, to look at the cover after and not before I read the text, just to go in like kind of with a blank slate. And yet, like, that's also a completely unnatural way to read. Like, usually you go in to a book, you have the cover, you usually peruse the the back uh, of the book. And in this case, like, you're probably coming to... Uh, the lost city of Zork with some understanding of uh, Zork, mm. unless you're just like a huge Robin W. Bailey fan, uh, who <laughs> apparently uh, wrote books for uh, White Wolf uh, and TSR. So, like, there, there's a non-zero mm. chance that I wow. may have read a book uh, by this person before. Uh, oh. But yeah. On that note, let's do look at the text a little bit today. <laughs> uh, so our first line. Uh, Caspar, Casper or Caspar? I don't know. I'm going to say Caspar for this section. Caspar whistled a sweet melody as he strolled down the tiny, dusty road that would eventually take him to the great port city of Borfi. Uh, 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 on that note, the, mm-hmm. the name Caspar uh, uh, satisfies one of my like favorite things of like fantasy names that are just like slightly different from like what you'd expect. <laughs> yeah, like. You know, it's it's like when you read a uh, uh, song of ice and fire, and there's like a character named Ben, and you're like, oh, okay, like that's a normal name, and then you learn that his name is like Benjamin. You're like, okay, like <laughs> a little different. Mm-hmm. I get it. You know, uh, well, yeah. So that that that's uh, what I have to say about how we can pronounce that name, Caspar. Mm. Um, I have perhaps less kind things to say about Borfi. <laughs> as a pronounceable name for a city. I'm a fan of Borfi, but that might be because I'm familiar with the sort of linguistic humor of the series. And like, that's very fitting into the style of like their style of made up syllables. Yeah. It made me think of like, a, you know, the, the Frobaz magic object company. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's a running gag in the series. So it's like the, the Frobaz magic pen company and the Frobaz magic water company. And then, Inevitably, you get some kind of wacky invention based on whatever they they made. Yeah, they could be headquartered in Borfi. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think Borfi is probably a fun place. Mm-hmm. It's very song of music is kind of what I get in those first few lines, like frolicking through the fields with the birds. Yeah, it's a very <laughs> idyllic first page. Yeah, uh, the the only thing I have in my notes about this first page is that like uh, I was instantly turned off by the the first line. I was just like, like, in a very curmudgeonly way, like, <laughs> why do I care about this, like, whistling person, you know, in this tiny, dusty road, like, and the great port city of Orphe? I'm like, what, what's so great about it? <laughs> like, you know, I, I was just like, really negative. And then the more I read, I was just like, oh, this is so nice. Like, I mean, honestly, it was the first line of the second paragraph that like, uh, I, I would like to steal somehow for some story or, uh, 
uh, everywhere he looked, the world was full of beauty. It's just like, uh, there, there, there's no like artifice uh, mm-hmm. to that line. There's no nuance. It's just like, hey, everything's okay. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, after like, that. This is very nice. After that first paragraph, when you hit that, you're like, oh, we're just doing this. We're just going with a really <laughs> lovely scene and we're going to stay there. Okay. Like unusual for a fantasy novel. Yeah, I definitely um, made the cover led me to believe that we were in for more of a grim beginning. But yes, this right here, um, like I just there, I, I thought Sound of Music and there was another uh, song I was thinking. Like, I, I feel like the, it's trying to evoke what it is he's actually whis- uh, whistling. Oh, I wish I'd written down. Um, oh, yeah. Everything's going my way. It's that, you know, oh, what a beautiful morning. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what he's supposed to be singing right there, which um, leads me to believe that things are going to go really, really wrong, really, really fast was kind of my my thought. Yeah. And I <laughs> like that we're starting there. <laughs> I like that we get a hint of that at the end of the page, but it takes the whole page to get there. Like <laughs> that's a commitment to the bit that I think is at the very least brave. Do you think it's safe to sniff a dragon dill? I had some thoughts about, you know, the the names of the fantasy flowers that are mm-hmm. like one step away from a real flower and whether or not there was no, enough significance there. It could be spicy. Might be a little spicy. The, the griffin's breath might be horribly stinky. Mm. Griffin's probably a lot of fish. Uh, I, I also like that, like, sort of distinction uh, the text makes between, like, this flower is the fiery blossoms of wild dragondale. And this is the more delicate white blooms called Griffin's Breath. But like, what do you mean mm. called? Like who, like, what, what is the distinction there between like this flower being dragondale and this flower just being called something? Like, like well, what kind of tricks? I mean, I guess uh, at that point in, the, in, in my reading, I was still being very curmudgeonly. Uh, <laughs> I was just like, it's, a, it's like a call me Ishmael moment of just like, what do you mean? Like... Like, just tell me your name. Like, what is this flower called? I'm just, like, real angry at this flower. Uh, yeah, I kind of was angry at them, too. Um, and in fact, I made a whole list of my own mythical beasts combined with flowers. If that's something you would care, care to hear. Um, just oh, to, please. Just to punch this up a little bit here. Um, so I came up with the succulabus, which would be a sexy cactus. It's a succubus plus a succulent, you know. Um, is anyone familiar with the Bonacan? You know what a Bonacan is? Maybe I should let you. So there's a really obscure mythical creature called a Bonacan that flies on the force of its own farts. And so you could have the blue Bonacan, which is like a blue bonnet plus a Bonacan. And that would be a fart-powered, a fart-powered flower. Try to say that five times fast. That's a kind of a fun one. I've got the Chupazalia, which would be a blood-drinking rhododendron, of course, as you know. You know, mm-hmm. that could be fun mm-hmm. to have in here. Um mm-hmm. The hydrangea already has hydra in it, so I kind of feel like that would be a gimme. Um, Just add a hyphen. If you wanted to get more obnoxious, you can make it a hydration, which is a carnation plus a hydra. And so you'd probably get like a seven-headed water-spouting flower, which could be really cool. Uh, there's the chrysanthemummy, which rates itself. I mean, mm-hmm. find it in ancient tombs, and it comes back and like um, comes back to life and chases you around. And then there's the... Nemean dandelion, which you would need mm-hmm. Hercules to help you slay, you know. Mm. So if you get that in your yard, it's kind of a real problem if you want to rid your yard of weeds. And then um, finishing off my list of really, really bad. I mean, these are still better than what's in the text. Just, I'm just saying that, you know, it was the bar I'm trying to clear. I've got the Lav Empire. So this is, you know, a very sparkly, 
nicely scented flower. It's also an herb that, you know, would also see you as prey. So, you know, so if you think any of those would belong in this world, I think those would be my suggestions. You've done more preparation than either yeah. of us ever have for this show. I'm just saying, <laughs> there you go. I mean, but I just couldn't, I could not. So, mm. you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, uh, it does make me wonder how much material uh, the author was was given by the by, by Infocom. Like, like you mm-hmm. have to mention this, and like, <laughs> like how much of that uh, versus like um, just making it up. Like, I, like uh, a TV writers' room uh, would would come up with some fun some flowers, right? Uh, which mm. I mean, also brings up you know one thing that I liked about the cover of this is that it says that it's a humorous, uh, a humorous new fantasy novel. Uh, and yet this, this first page did not really elicit any, uh, smiles or chuckles or, uh, I don't know. Did, was, was there, was there any comedy that I was missing in my curmudgeonly state today? I don't think so. <laughs> I think it's probably more going to be the contrast between this and whatever happens on the second page. Or in the ensuing pages, I would guess, um, because I have to assume that this sort of uh, idyllic flower sniffing is not going to continue for the rest of the book. So I expect a turn. I definitely feel like that we're supposed to find Caspar a little bit punchable. Mm-hmm. And that if it were if I picture it as like a scene on screen, then maybe I can see where the humor is supposed to be of like this probably like day glow colored field. And this man frolicking through it while he's whistling, um, about to fall to his doom. So, um, but I, I won't say that it it tickled my funny bone, and that I didn't laugh at anything in here. It was a little, mm. a little sugary. Uh, sorry. Uh, just to let you guys know, uh, Zoom is telling me that we have less than a minute. <laughs> uh, oh, I'm trying, I'm trying to, to upgrade quickly. Uh. Um, I don't know how much of that will end up in the show, uh, uh, but, um, sorry. Uh, so, uh, we have some good, good flower names. Uh, I want to do something with like manticore and like, uh, just borage. What? You could do what is manticore, Man- like mandrake or like a oh. hellbore, hellbore, okay. hellbore, mantibore, yeah. mantibore has got yeah. a good, mm-hmm. that might you be know. it. I like it, I like Mantibor. And what would it do? Like you got a, it's like a mashup thing. Uh, I think it just tries to bite you. Yeah, yeah. Just bite you. One of those. Most of these probably just bite you. Yeah, so. or <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like that would be that. That would be fun if, like, you know, some some fantasy florist was like, "Be careful of that one. Like it bites. Oh, oh, this yeah. one. This one also bites. Uh, that that one will bite you and poison you. What about these snapdragons? No, those are just plants. Uh- the dragon dills are yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're just... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the language of flowers. And you kind of wonder in this world if, like, uh, the bouquets you send people say say things to them literally, mm. often using words. <laughs> hmm. So, sorry, I'm just... Mm-hmm. Uh, so, overall, I, I, feel, I feel like there's some consensus here that, like, this is pleasant but unremarkable. <laughs> uh, yeah. the first page. Yeah, uh, I would is, agree. Is that a fair... Um, with, with like, I, I think I'm probably falling more on the like, oh, that was pleasant. Uh, and, and, and y'all might be falling more on the like, this was unremarkable. There's like, there's like uh, a hint of a turn at the end that like, yeah, makes me think that the second page has the potential to go somewhere. Um, because 
we talk about how, you know, he's thinking about his small village in the Peltoid Valley, which is another like solid Zork name that probably without the the context sounds awful, but he'd set out to seek his fortune. Not that he'd had any choice. It's like, oh, there is something else going on. Um, I wonder what it is. It made me happy because it made me think that I'm not the only person who finds him punchable. Mm hmm kind of a might have been a, a local phenomenon <laughs> totally yeah i just want i just want the next page to be like him being heartbroken about his family uh but also us hearing that like he never misses a, a note mm. uh, in his whistling so we just see him like with like a real sad face but like whistling a jaunty tune like i feel like that could be fun but mm. i don't know i mean honestly like although that that ending kind of promised some dynamism uh and conflict that was not present in the rest of the book like there was almost a moment there where i thought like what if what if this is really some sort of like like art project <laughs> anti-novel where it's just like a hundred pages of like description of pleasant things like like what what a nice surprise not just for a novel but especially mm. like a Zork <laughs> novel like like this isn't there's there's no like hard puzzles here it's just flowers and like birds that might be you know metaphors or you know, uh, favorable signs. This is there to, to calm down Zork players after they've wandered through the dungeon long enough where, you mm. know, you just need a little bit of comfort. Attempting to navigate the maze while constantly being robbed. Yes. <laughs> and that's the thing that happens in Zork. The thing that happens. Well, I, I was worried that Massachusetts had become much less pleasant than people robbing each other no it's it's a normal amount of unpleasant <laughs> yeah, yeah i don't know so i mean uh okay so the the scenario that i like to imagine is that like mm -hmm. you're in a lake house and you've just found this book and you're like okay like let me read the, fir the first page uh so rachel would you read the second page i'm at a lake house and i know it's about zork <laughs> um i think that do you, have you ever heard of the Eye of Argon? This is a bit of a tangent before I give my answer. No. Are you with the Eye of Argon? I'm not. So the Eye of Argon is a notoriously bad unpublished novel that um, is so bad that um, oh, wait, people they, they read do, it. Uh, huh? At, 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 at cons? Yes, yeah, so like you do dramatic read-alouds and you're supposed to, like the rule is that when you laugh, you pass it to the next person. So I, I feel like that I would continue reading this in an Eye of Argon situation where, you know, maybe I'm with some friends and I'm like, oh, this is going to be so, so bad it's good. I think if I were reading for pleasure, I'd probably, I'd probably give it a pass. I probably wouldn't go on. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to uh, be more specific uh, about this uh, hmm. hypothetical lake house. Like, okay, <laughs> okay, yes. There, Set there, the scene. There, there's, there's no alcohol. Uh-oh, okay. Uh, and uh, uh, it's just surrounded by zombies i guess oh okay well maybe i want the pleasantness then oh that definitely <laughs> surrounded by zombies but i'm not going to go outside and enjoy the sun like it's raining outside maybe mm -hmm. yeah raining yeah. zombies raining zombies okay uh uh or you know it's like it's raining so the, the cloud covers the sun so the vampires are going to come out <sighs> and of course john steinbeck's werewolf uh, <laughs> of course exactly yeah yes yeah uh yeah i i i also don't feel compelled to read this but i'm i'm very happy that i read 
this first page. Uh, I don't know. How about, how about you, Vin? And I did read it, but also I was <laughs> probably like 13. Uh, and it was the early 90s. So like, you know, it's a sort of different attitude towards media at the time. I'd probably go for the second page to see if there is, in fact, a significant turn. Uh, but I'm not sure that I could keep going through too much of this tone long term. Well, I mean, uh, if you're 13, you might just be like reading this, waiting for the what was it again? The leather the leather goddesses of Phoebus <laughs> to show up. Yes, yeah. That's right. I know they're here. <laughs> 13 is an interesting age, uh, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, I was about to say something about that. Uh, something that wasn't just a joke, but now it's gone. Um, eh, okay. I mean, you could flip the book and look for them. You always do the like the skim. Yeah, it's downstairs though. Oh no! <laughs> so you're saying that it's raining zombies, and there's other people there, and there's no alcohol. Ah, okay. <sighs> okay. <laughs> What yeah, is this lake house and why are we there? <laughs> I also like the idea of like, it's like, would you read this book if it were in the next room? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I'm just, uh, I, I'm building like uh, a, a very uh, elaborate and uh, silly system of like ratings for books. Like, this is yeah. a book that I would like cross the street for. Like, that, that's saying. Uh-huh. I mean, these days, like a book that I would leave the house for is saying a lot, probably. Yeah, like uh, <laughs> at this point... There's plenty of books that I, like, I haven't functionally successfully finished a book in God knows how long. So it's no longer a matter of quality. It's just a matter of brain. Oh, right. That's what I was going to say. You know, there's people uh, have stories about how, like, they remember the first film they saw that they didn't think was good. Because, like, as a kid, you kind of just think, like, oh, it's a movie. It's good. Like, everything is enjoyable at some point and at some you know, at, mm-hmm. at some point when you get yeah. older, you get a, a little bit more uh, critical about like, wait, why did they do that? And like, you know, I, I, I've heard interviews with people where they talk about like that moment of like almost betrayal and confusion. It was like, that was a movie and I like movies, but I didn't like that. Like, <laughs> what's going on with me? And I, I can imagine this book, uh, you know, like, I mean, at 13, I'm just like devouring Dragonlance novels. Yeah. Uh, and like rereading parts that i like from lord of the rings uh <laughs> gosh what else did i read i don't know uh so i i could imagine like this falling to my hands as a 13 year old and being like yeah sure like i like zor mm-hmm. uh theoretically you know but uh yeah and also at the time it was like like star wars one of those things that had like no presence since the early 80s it's like wait this they're doing this? I didn't know that was a thing they could still do. <laughs> it's kind of exciting. So is it sort of required? Um, I could. There is one like circumstance where I could see reading this book. And I'm, I'm thinking that if the lake house, if it's one of those lake houses where in the bathroom there's like reading material provided, mm. um, I could mm-hmm. see continuing to enjoy the book. Like I'd probably read further and just kind of, you know, like if it's this there to fill your time. Um, in the restroom, I think I could totally, this would be a perfect book to leave there and make people read to and, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and put them in the max. It sounds very cruel. I don't really mean that <laughs> as mean as that yeah. sounds, but I just definitely think it's, it would be interesting if it were like in a waiting room or somewhere where you're bored and you just need something to read, you know, mm. 
but I agree that, yeah, it's interesting. I think that, I think as a kid, like as a teenager, I could definitely see, I probably would have committed to reading this, like on the basis of my Zork fandom alone. Yeah. Got to like prove your commitment by reading all the things. Well, I feel like we've, we've well discussed this first page uh, (laughs) and we're kind of coming up on time. Uh, I do have a question that will take us another hour to answer, which (gasps) is uh, if you were given the chance to uh, not novelize, but to, to write a sequel novel to some video game, like what video game would you choose? Uh, I guess we could, we could limit this to Infocom game. Uh, Yeah. I mean, like I'd probably choose Zork since it's it's on the table and the competition isn't that strong. Oh, interesting. So only Infocom games? I was, I was going to say, um, otherwise, Dragon Age would be, for me, the hands-down easy. Mm. Oh. Uh, definitely read Dragon Age novel. If anyone out there is listing up right aware. Um, mm. Yeah, and Infocom, I don't know if I would pick Zork. I think I might pick, like, Planetfall. Or... Oh, Planetfall's a good setting to use, <sighs> yeah. Yeah. And you could have Floyd. Like Floyd. There mm. aren't very many, like, really, really memorable characters. You're right, um, Ben, about there being the Zork universe being kind of empty, especially in the original trilogy. Yeah. But I'm I'm a big fan of that kind of sparseness. So, like the original Zelda, like there's Ooh. just nothing there. Love it. So, w- would your Zork novel be more humorous or more like horror vibe, like survival uh, horror? That's that's I like. I was just sort of reviewing some of my writing recently. I'm like, oh, the thing I do is shove humor and horror together. Yes, it's <laughs> <laughs> my favorite thing. Or, you know, usually like humor and then a bit of horror and then a third or fourth genre and then shake it around until something falls out. I think that's how I've defined my writing style. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Like you kind of end up with sick and twisted if you do it right. You know, Mm -hmm. like do you ever have the problem of you write a thing that you think is hilarious and everyone else thinks is horrible? You ever have that problem? Yeah. Happens on occasion. Yeah. (laughs) It's really funny. (laughs) How about you, Ben? (laughs) What's your, oh. what's your video game uh, novelization? Uh, 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 I mean... The, letter, uh, the leather goddess Zephibus? <laughs> I mean, at, 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 at this point, I feel like like Tetris is really... <laughs> you know, it, it would, of course, be... And uh, it is very funny like to imagine uh, the listener listening to these, you know, weeks apart, uh, just thinking about, like, like, boy, like, Ben really mentions the Nouveau Roman... Uh, by Alain Robe Grier, uh, like a lot. Or, uh, yeah, I, I, I have my go tos. I'm just imagining, like, like a Tetris game that was like no characters and just like just a discussion of work for a hundred pages. <laughs> or uh, a Flatland uh, sequel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but honestly, just hearing you guys talk about these games makes me kind of want to, like, they're all available at. Like Steam and probably you know uh, GOG.com. Yeah, I I think I think a lot of them were made public domain actually. Yeah. 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 Go to that um, interactive fiction database. You can probably find most or all of them there. Yeah, and there there is one called the Lurking Horror. I played yes. that. That one played that you one know. too. Yep. I mean, it'd be funny to be like, oh, I want to novelize this, which is just like <laughs> I just want to write more like Lovecraft pastiche, mm-hmm. like like I like I like I was also doing when I was thirteen. Yes, but definitely got murdered by a floor waxer in that game. Oh, I remember the floor waxer. Mm-hmm. I remember that game um, legit scared me at the age when I played it. Yeah, it was, it, it was fairly tense. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, uh, I'm going to I'm going to be very interested to see what the show notes for this episode. Look like. <laughs> yeah, 
Uh, Rachel, uh, where can people find you uh, online if they want to hear more about your thoughts on interactive fiction? Oh, yes, uh, or your or your own your own fiction. Yes, um, I mean, I think primarily I'm on Twitter these days. And that's at Rachel K Jones and I'm R A C H A E L. My parents stuck an extra letter in there to make it forever, for the rest of my life, obnoxious to find me in places. Um, that's where you can find you can find me. You also find a link there to my website, um, and you can hear me sharing lots of opinions about random things on Twitter. Yeah, and also my own stories. My own stories are kind of everywhere. Um, and right now, I think that the most most coherent place to find a list of them would be probably on my website, which you can also find through Twitter. Thanks for joining us on Dark and Stormy Nights. I've been your host, Ben Blackberg, and you can find me on Twitter at InCatastrophe. And I've been your other host, Ben LeBate. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Reciprocity. You can find the games that I write at mrreciprocity.itch.io. And you can find my other podcast, The Chimera, at thechimera.space, on Twitter at ChimeraPod, or on your podcast app of choice. For show updates, follow Dark Knights Reads on Twitter, or visit darknightsreads.com. And we'll meet you back here next week. <laughs>